Welcome to Covert Action Bulletin, the official podcast of Covert Action Magazine. I'm Chris Agee, Executive Editor at CAN. Today, we turn to Nicaragua and the recent elections that just took place last month on November 7th. Daniel Ortega and the Sandinistas won the elections with over 75% of the vote. Nicaragua's nonpartisan independent Supreme Electoral Council reported that over 65% of the 4.4 million eligible voters, 16 years and older, participated in the elections. Meanwhile, the mainstream media, including so-called progressive media outlets like National Public Radio, regurgitated U.S. State Department talking points on the elections, highlighting jailing of opponents without providing the much-needed background to the events, including the U.S.-supported coup plotters advocating the overthrow of the Nicaraguan government. As reported in Covert Action magazine, The Gray Zone, and other trailblazing outlets, the reality on the ground couldn't be more different, as is typical U.S. covert activities were in full swing, using National Endowment for Democracy and U.S. Agency for International Development money to finance the opposition destabilize the country in the elections, not to mention fund a worldwide campaign to deride President Ortega as dictator. It's no wonder that so many people are confused about recent events in Nicaragua. Today, we take a closer look at the electoral process and history of U.S. intervention in Nicaragua. We find that U.S. destabilization efforts are nothing new, efforts that are quite common around the world particularly in countries that are forging independent paths to implement universal health care, literacy campaigns, and economies oriented to raising the standard of living for its own people. In the view of the U.S. plutocratic elite, such efforts undermine international corporate interests and serve as an example threatening U.S. hegemony. Cam sent our globetrotting correspondent Lauren Smith to Nicaragua to report on the elections firsthand. She joins us today with Mark Cook, who has reported on Nicaragua for the past four decades. Lauren serves on the editorial board of Covert Action magazine and is our correspondent on location in different hotspots around the world. She just came back from observing the elections in Nicaragua and has written an excellent article for CAM entitled Nicaragua's Evidence-Based Democracy Threatens U.S. Oppression Domestically and Abroad, published last Monday on December 6th. Lauren's work has been published in Alliance for Global Justice, Black Agenda Report, Common Dreams, Counterpunch, Global Research, Monthly Review, and Telesaur, amongst other publications. She holds a BA in Politics, Economics, and Society from SUNY at Old Westbury, and an MPA in International Development Administration from New York University. Lauren is also a member of the Green Party and SanctionsKill.org, and her historical fiction novel based upon Nicaragua's 1979 revolution is due out in 2022. Mark Cook is a longtime investigative journalist who has also ser- who also serves on the editorial board of CAM. Mark has lived and worked in Nicaragua on and off for four decades. He has written for and contributed to numerous publications including The Nation and Extra, the publication of Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting. He regularly reported from Nicaragua for Undercurrents, a WBAI precursor to Democracy Now!, syndicated nationwide throughout the Pacifica Radio Network and its affiliates. Let's start with you, Mark. Take us back a bit and set the stage. Give us a thumbnail description of the history of Nicaragua and how we got to the current situation. Okay, Chris. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Chris. Um, the... Hi, Mark. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having us here. 
Thanks. Um, the history of Nicaragua as concerns the United States has been, uh, it really began with a, a series of invasions, but the, the first one was in 1855 when William Walker with the full backing of the president of the United States at the time, uh, Franklin Pierce and pro-slavery elements in the US Congress invaded Nicaragua. He burned the city of Granada to the ground, put up a sign reading, here was Granada. And then he declared himself to be the president of Nicaragua, declared English to be the official language and declared the reestablishment of slavery, which the Nicaraguans had abolished when they won independence from Spain. Uh, that was the first of these. They continued on and at the end of the century, the US began invading more frequently and uh, in order to prevent the democratically elected government of the country from uh, reaching an agreement with some European powers for possibly building a, an interoceanic canal uh, through Nicaragua, which uh, the US authorities didn't want because they were building one through Panama and didn't want the competition. They overthrew the democratically elected president, um, President Zelaya. They installed um, a, a brutal dictatorship uh, and then they forced the installed the president of the country, uh, Emiliano Chamorro of the Chamorro family, a wealthy sugar baron family, uh, to sign the infamous Chamorro Bryan Treaty, which uh, forced um, Nicaragua to allow the US to invade the country whenever they felt like it, or to intervene as they called it, uh, and handed over vast pieces of real estate of Nicaragua to the US for doing whatever it wanted, uh, Corn Island and the Atlantic, uh, the entire uh, San Juan River that separates Nicaragua from its southern neighbor, uh, Costa Rica, uh, and much more, and then uh, forced the uh, Nicaraguans to agree that only the United States could build a canal through Nicaragua or not build one as it chose. And of course, they chose not to build one. In exchange for all of this, Nicaragua was to be paid a pittance, which was by amazing coincidence exactly the amount of money that Nicaragua owed to two Wall Street banks, now known as Brown Brothers Harriman and Citibank. And it was stipulated in the uh, treaty that the money would never leave the United States. It would be transferred directly from the US Treasury in Washington to the two Wall Street banks in New York. Um, the, the money actually had been borrowed by the US imposed dictator when uh, people uh, rose up against the dictatorship and the dictatorship borrowed some money to, uh, to wipe out the, the um, the rebels who were who were trying to reinstate the democratically elected government. But that began the lengthy US occupation of the country from 1912 to 1934 um, by the US Marines. And when they were finally were pulled out, uh, an, an unbelievably brutal operation, but by this time there was a huge international clamor to, uh, including in the United States, to get the Marines out of Nicaragua they did finally pull them out. They, this, the attention to this had been raised by the uh, rebellion of General Augusto Cesar Sandino. He was the person who refused to go along with the US occupation of the country. And although the US Marines tried to kill him year in and year out, they could never do so. And he really aroused international attention to the whole issue. Finally, the US pulled out in 1934, 
but installed the murder squad dictatorship of military dictatorship of the Somozas and kept that in power for the next uh, over four decades. Uh, and when finally the people of Nicaragua managed to overthrow that dictatorship in 1979 and actually hold a democratic election, the, uh, we, we brought the Sandinistas uh, into, into me, the, the government of the country, the U.S. launched a murderous war using as the commanders of their entire army that they recruited an army, housed, clothed, fed, trained, equipped, armed, and deployed an army to overthrow the democratically elected government. It, the um, army was commanded almost exclusively by members of the Somoza National Guard, the psychopaths, just by this time widely viewed as widely viewed as just a bunch of psychotic criminal murderers, uh, especially because of the last couple of years of the Somoza rule when they would just yank young people off the streets and torture them uh, right in, on, pick, on the back of pickup trucks right in front of everybody. Um, and, but it, it, this is really what brought the, gave the Sandinistas who named themselves after uh, Sandino uh, who had been murdered in, during this by uh, General Somoza, they, um, they came to, to power with the re rebellion, which as uh, even Jimmy Carter's own uh, ambassador told him, Carter was ready to invade the country to prevent the Sandinistas from taking power. He was going to invade, jettison Somoza, he was gonna get rid of Somoza finally, and then kill off enough Sandinistas to allow them to install another pro-business, pro-U.S. Uh, government, um, a you know, somosismo sin samosa, somosismo without samosa. Uh, and yet his own ambassador finally convinced him in uh, June of 1979 that the country was in the midst of a mass uprising and that there is not a weapon in the world that can defeat a mass uprising. And that was what finally Carter had to back off and, and his uh, defense secretary, Brown and uh, and his uh, national security advisors, Evgeny Brzezinski, they both uh, were pushing for the invasion, but finally they had to back off because they it was like unless they they could nuke the whole country with nuclear weapons, but I mean they, that was the only way they could have defeated the rebellion. At that point, they um, tried to negotiate a um, some kind of means of keeping this the national guard in existence, but it collapsed in just smoke and ashes in a couple of days, and the Sandinistas came to power with enormous popular support. In the elections that followed in 1984, they won with um, a huge turnout, a massive turnout of popular vote, and, with, and winning 67% of the vote in the elections. But there were some obviously opposition parties, the liberals, the conservatives, the social Christians, and communists and socialists, and um, the um, popular action movement. And uh, yet, you know, with enough support, obviously, the, the Sandinistas had enormous support. It was at that point that the US government started uh, uh, pump, pumping a huge amount of money into these opposition parties, especially the right wing uh, liberals and conservatives, and uh, killed off tens of thousands of Nicaraguans during the 1980s in order to force the Nicaraguans to, as Ronald Reagan said, president at the time, 
to cry uncle. He said they were going to keep the war going until Nicaragua cries uncle, even in the face of a world court decision in which the um, court decided decided um, in, in unanimously, including by the with the American judge uh, in the in the um, in the vote on at least one of the points to condemn the United States for aggression and order the United States to pay billions and billions of dollars in damages, which of course the U.S. authorities refused to pay. Um, but well, the American, I, I think, know, a big one, Mark, was that they mined the harbors. Yes, that was one of the one. That was even the one on which the American judge joined in on. But the other one was just systematic murder of health workers, teachers, um, they, not just uh, Nicaraguan health workers and teachers and other soft targets. They murdered foreigners. They murdered some uh, West German and uh, Austrian health workers. They tried to murder some others. When the second group survived and held a press conference in Managua, there was always a CIA journalist there saying, well, were the doctors and nurses armed? And as if that would be okay to kill them if they were. And one of the doctors said, of course, we were armed and, and fighting. If, if not, we would all have been dead. Dead. Chris, Chris, you were there in the 80s. Yeah. Weren't you up in um, Esteli? Uh, yeah, I was in Can the, you talk uh, a little bit about that? Sure, I was in the northern uh, 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 northern mountains of Esteli, the province that is right on the border with Honduras. And um, the Contras were like 10 feet tall at, the, at that time, uh, so-called so considered as such. And um, they, they, were, they, were, uh, they would come into Nicaraguan territory and kill people um, and then leave. And they were trying to set up a, um, you know, a bastion so that, the United, so that if the Sandinistas came along and, says, and, and tried to get them out, they could call in the United States and then provoke an invasion um, to, to respond to, to that. And um, so in the mountains in Nicaragua, what we did was as Americans down in 1983, and uh, we, we went down there to put our bodies on the line in between the Contras um, who were funded by the U.S. government at the time, and um, and the uh, and the Reagan administration, and um, we we uh, and and the Sandinistas and the people of Nicaragua. So, so, so you were in effect like how yeah. old were you at the time? I was eighteen. I was the youngest kid on the delegation, and, and you were uh, human shields, literally human shields. Yeah, and um, and then what happened was we 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 would hang out with the people who were. Um, you know, defending uh, the the workers who were picking coffee and us, and they were they were you know 13, 14 year old kids. Uh, Nicaragua has a very young population and it's very small. It, at that time, it was around three million people, which is the size of Brooklyn. And so, um, uh, uh, when they would come and attack us, um, the the you know we would get defended, um, and um, you know the bullets would be flying and so on and so forth. And I just remember it was a very traumatic experience just um, dropping to the ground as the bullets were flying through our, our cabin. And um, I thought that was it for us, you know, and I felt so bad for the kids that were out there defending us. And, and then the next morning, um, we sort of took a peek out when it was daylight. And um, I walked over and I saw this body of, of one of the Nicaraguans who had been defending us. And I, um, you know, he had bullets in his head and his brains were all over the ground. And it was just very, traumatic, it was a terrible day. So this is the kind of attacks that the US was orchestrating through using the Contras um, to attack Nicaragua. And Mark, could you give us an idea? Um, why, why is the United States so interested in Nicaragua? Why, why is it they're so interested in 
um, you know, and, and, and ensuring that their um, son of a bitch, as they call them, uh, would be uh, our son of a bitch, so to speak. Uh, Mark? Well, that was, of course, Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt's reference to the first of the three Samosas. And he told Time magazine that uh, Samosa is a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch. Um, but that was why they wanted to keep him in power. When the Sandinistas came to power, they saw them as a threat of a good example. Their literacy campaign uh, was a huge success in the early 1980s, and their healthcare campaigns were a huge success. And they did not, obviously, the US had gone for many decades without bothering with anything like health uh, campaigns, literacy campaigns, or anything else. Like, as frequently happens with uh, right-wing governments, they regarded literacy as a problem because people get ideas above their station if they learn to read and write, think they're just as good as the landlord, and uh, they might rebel. So they were not the least bit interested in that, but they weren't interested in providing potable water either. They murdered uh, Ben Linder, an American engineer who was working to provide potable water to a rural community in Nicaragua. Uh, and when George H.W. Bush was confronted on this by uh, Ben Linder's brother, Bush defended the murder of uh, Ben Linder. He said, well, he chose his side in this. Yeah, he chose the side of the democratically elected government, and he was trying to provide potable water for this community. And, they, and he said, and there was a rifle near him on the ground, a, a Soviet-made rifle, as if that justified their murdering him. But this was the kind of operation they were running across the country. It was a campaign of absolute terror. The, they, the New York Times, among others, tried to suggest that the world court was communist dominated. Uh, the, the countries on the world court were, uh, as usual, um, it stacked the same way as the UN Security Council, Britain, France, Norway, Italy, the United States itself, Japan. Um, okay, that's six United States plus five of its top military, economic, and political allies. Then from Latin America, Argentina, and Brazil. The U.S. had no closer friends in Latin America than Argentina and Brazil at the time. From Africa, uh, Nigeria, and Senegal. Again, the U.S. had no closer friends in Africa than Nigeria and Senegal. India, which was ostensibly neutral, but the judge could be very sympathetic to the United States. So that's 11 of the 15 uh, seats on the uh, world court. And as the American uh, advisor, the American lawyer for, for Nicaragua in the world court case, uh, Abram Shays, who had um, been Kennedy's uh, top legal uh, advisor in the State Department and who drew up the justification during the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis to justify the blockade of Cuba during that crisis, he, was, he had returned to Harvard where he was teaching at Harvard Law School, and he volunteered to represent Nicaragua in the world court case. And he said, if the United States had any case at all with those judges, they would have had no trouble at all getting a very sympathetic hearing. And uh, yet that was the, um, the, the Reagan administration just tried to denounce the whole court and pretend it, hadn't, it didn't exist, refused to abide by the decisions and just kept the war going until uh, they killed off enough people and did enough economic damage that they could finally bring down the government. You've been listening to Covert Action Bulletin, the official podcast of Covert Action Magazine. To listen to the full episode, head on over to patreon.com forward slash covert action bulletin. 
Feel free to also check out our magazine at covertactionmagazine.com where you will find hundreds of articles we have published since 1978 exposing the nefarious covert activity of U.S. imperialism and plutocrats worldwide. I'm Chris Agee, Executive Editor, signing off until the next episode. Remember, educate, agitate, and organize.